I apologize if you did not receive one of these as of yet. They are, uh, the one I'm looking at right now is on the nature of God from last week. We got just about halfway through that. And there may be some that do not have a copy of this. And if you do not, there are probably some on the back. My, Pastor Nate's looking for those now. And so we got through Roman numeral 1 and 2. We're going to be picking up with number 3. And we're looking at the nature of God. Try not to yawn right there at me, please. Because it doesn't seem like a really interesting thing to talk about. But I think it's really neat. But, of course, I'm the preacher. And uh, preachers usually have to dig into the doctrine. Uh, there's a, a lot of back and forth with people, with churches, concerning the importance of doctrines. Uh, words like toleration, acceptance of everybody and what they believe and kind of merging everybody together is what is in now, instead of being definitive with what we believe and why we believe it. So what we are doing is looking at the Word of God as the sole source of what we, we hold to in the Christian faith of what we believe and why we believe it. We cannot look at a rock or a tree and, and discover what God is. Okay, It doesn't work that way. We, we can't look at the beauty of the stars and say, wow, that must be God. Um, it will show there's a creation, but... but God's Word is that source that He has given. And, and by the way, we're going to be getting into um, the study of the Word of God itself also, showing uh, the, the importance of understanding why we have the Word of God in our laps and why we can hold on to it uh, with, with faith and absolute confidence. But this is where we're drawing from, and uh, we're going to dig in. We're going to start in Joshua chapter 3 as we talk about, uh, while you're turning there, Joshua chapter 3, verse 10, we're talking about our God who is alive. Uh, the nature is defined, the inherent character or basic constitution of a person or thing. So this is what God is saying of himself, defining, teaching us about himself, because there's no way of knowing. No man here living has gone into the presence of, sat down of God, had an interview, and said, God, tell me all about it so I can... Instead, God says, I'm going to reveal myself to you uh, through a special revelation, which is what we're really looking at now and how God reveals himself through the Word. And also, we do see through nature, but, but we're looking at the special. In Joshua chapter number 3, uh, this is a, an important time period for the nation of Israel. And they are about to, uh, of course, get into the Promised Land, Pick up with me, please, in verse number 9 of the text. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. Now remember, we looked at the names of God. So you can look at each one of these names, Lord and God, see how they're, uh, how they're spelt, and then you can look back and see whether it is talking about the great I Am, Jehovah, Elohim, etc. Joshua then says, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is where? Okay. Now, did he, did he physically come there to be with Israel? No. So Joshua, though, by the word of the Lord, is coming to them, and he is saying to them, you're going to know that God who is alive is in the midst of you. Now notice how and why. And that he will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, Hivites, the Perizzites, the, the list goes on. I'll stop before I really mess up one of those names. 
That's why I have other guys do scripture readings on Sunday morning, so I don't mess up on the words and names. And so, so here are all these lands, these people that are going to be taken out by them. And with each march, with each victory, they're going to realize that God is with them and he is alive. So didn't then, based on this, what we have learned, God revealed himself as the living God by answered prayer, by victories in life, and the list goes on of what we're seeing here. So it wasn't a physical, but instead God was using them to bring forth these victories, and yet you can see how God was fighting for them. So here we are, a church. We are the, and we're going to see it later on, we're the church of the living God. And we'll see that. So how do we know God's alive? Same kind of thought. Because of what he is doing in our midst of what he is doing in our lives is the greatest evidence of the living God. I'm working on a message. It's going to be a while. I just got started on today. Um, it's a message on for his name's sake. And that phrase is throughout the scriptures. And what we are and how we act and our faith, all of these things is based on the fact that our God is alive. This church and churches around the world are in existence because God is alive. If he is not, however, could this work continue? Could any church continue without him working inside of lives and changing them and doing things inside of the lives of Christians? And so our life literally is a proof of God living amongst us, working inside of us, and as the Galatians you know, 2.20 principle, Christ in us, and so he is the one who is alive. The people of this world would like to think that there is no God and God is dead. But trust me, he is alive and well. Look at Psalms 84. Psalm 84, and verse number 2 here. I'll read verse 1 along with it. Uh, Amiable are, the, are beautiful, lovely, are the tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even, I'm sorry, I hear pages rustling. That's so rude of teachers to do that. See, I got there and I thought, that's, I used to always think that was rude when teachers did that. You know, you, by the time you get there, he's done reading, he's moving on to a second point. Psalm 84, verse 1 and 2. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, here it is, crieth out for the living God. And there again, that prayer life that we have, put it this way, if God is dead which we know he's not, but how could we ever even think that our prayers are being heard and answered by one who does not exist and who is dead? Why does anybody prayer, pray if, if he is not alive? And we're going to build this. The next one we see is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is one of my favorites on the subject. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 
Uh, this church got started, you'll see it in the book of Acts, right around chapter 17 area, if I remember. And as this char- church began, it was under persecution right away. And this particular people, they were really involved with a lot of idolatry. So they had a God for everything, like Corinth, like a lot of other areas. And in this text, he talks about verse 5, we're going to pick it up. Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and Holy Ghost and much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and became followers of us and of the Lord, receiving the word in much affliction with joy and Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, uh, but also in every place, your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how that you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You've got to put verse 10 in, and to wait for his son from heaven. So Puts it right into the rapture right after this. So here's the change in their lives. And as you see this case being built, he's, you know, he's not bragging him, building up a pride inside of them, giving them self-esteem. He's saying, here's a matter of fact, that everywhere we were going, they're like, oh yeah, we heard about people in Thessalonica. Man, did they ever turn around? Their lives were absolutely changed, and the word was spreading so fast. Now, follow me. You know, we always talk, hear about the negativities that are going on in the world and how fast it spreads. Well, when God's doing something, it spreads also. And people's lives are getting changed, it spreads. And the evidence that the people had of the transformed life was that they turned from all of their idols to serve the living true God. You say, okay, no, wait a minute. You have to understand, when they turn from these idols, you realize that they were losing their livelihood. Many of these were losing their jobs because they made idols. They sold idols. They worshipped, and they were trusting that their God was going to be providing for them, taking care of them, protecting them, the list goes on. And they threw all of that to the side to believe in one who they cannot make. They have not seen. It is an absolute faith, only religion. And because of that, these people and the transformation that was happening in their lives, and they're getting rid of the immorality, they're getting rid of all the garbage that goes along with the idolatry, and sure enough, people were seeing the changed life. A changed life gives the evidence that God is alive and well. We are evidence that God is alive. And we, just like they, are waiting for Jesus. Because Jesus is alive and well. Uh, over in uh, the next one, Revelation chapter 7. Uh, did I miss one? Oh, I'm sorry, First Timothy. Thank you, sir. Bruce, missed that one. First Timothy in chapter... 3, verse 15, 
familiar ground for us. He says, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Had a uh, series on this. Uh, matter of fact, this might have been one of the first Sunday night series I had, is uh, getting the church on target. I think it was the first series that I had was in First Timothy. And uh, this is a theme verse for this whole book, because... When you look at this, you say, how we are supposed to behave ourselves in God's house. So the first thing we go through is, yeah, I don't think people ought to be chewing gum, bubble gum. I don't think kids ought to be running around, jumping on pews, and banging on the piano. And Man, they ought to not be doing this. And we start thinking about how you know we would organize things. That has nothing to do with this verse. Okay, so let's get that out of our brain right now. How do we behave ourselves? He's dealing with like the important things about how we should be conducting ourselves. He's going through the whole organization of the church. First Timothy, dealing with leadership, deacons, elders, and, and throughout this is how we ought to behave ourselves. The authority of the Word of God, studying. I mean, the list goes on with all of the different subjects that are found in this book. And so he's saying, this is how we ought to behave ourselves within a church. Because we're not talking about a building, are we? The house of God. We're talking about the assembly of how we assemble ourselves together. Because this assembly, as I'm looking at us, we are the church. We are the church of the living God. And that's why I brought that up earlier, is this fact that Thessalonica, we have a church established evidence. And we as this church are here. We are the evidence. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't know what's going on. It's weird. You know, church is going up for sale. <laughs> um, things are shutting down. I was talking to one guy, uh, not a churchgoer. He goes, man, the economy must be awfully bad if churches are shutting their doors down and selling their buildings. And, I, and I'm just listening. And um, does Revelation chapters 2 and 3 ring a bell to you? Okay? And what Christ was doing in those chapters were saying to the churches, now listen, you leave me, I'll shut you down. You know why? Because it's my church, Jesus was saying. And we, we don't conduct ourselves and hold to the doctrines instead of going to the doctrines of the Laodiceans or going into to, to these other areas and losing, uh, leaving their first love and you know, the lukewarmness and all of the other things that the churches were doing wrong. And he's saying, I'll, I'll, I'll pluck you out. And in the text, he's not talking about an individual salvation, about removing a, a candlestick. He's talking about the whole church. And as you know, in the area of Turkey where those churches were established, they're gone. Uh, it's Muslim. It's not Christian. So when you couple that, I'm getting long-winded on this point. I don't want to get too long, but you know my mind does flip-flops. Because when you look at Romans then, as he looks at the Gentiles that have been plugged in, grafted into uh, the whole source of strength, which is Christ, and the Jews, which has rejected him, and we're, we're the, you know, the wild branch that's plugged in. He says to you and I, listen, if we get in unbelief, guess what he's going to do to the church? How easy would it be to snap us off? 
And so the whole thing of the existence is that we are living out what God is teaching us, not what we want, not what we think of of what a church is to be and its activities and its functions and, and how we ought to order ourselves, but as best as we can in our society to line ourselves up with the Word of God and try to fulfill it. Um, are we there? I don't know of a church that is. We always are trying to improve. Everybody in our lives are trying to improve and to be, to be more Christ-like. But this is, this is part of, uh, of the whole concept. And so... Yeah, we are the church of the living God. And because of that, we order ourselves. And uh, because we are a pillar, that's that stability. It's that which, which other weight rests on. And we are a ground, that's foundation of truth. That helps us to understand what Carl's doing right now on Wednesday nights. We must establish truth. And it has to be in the church. And I know you say, if I would have a survey, I should have done that at the beginning. We should have had a big questionnaire. Is God alive? True or tr- God is alive, true or false? You know, I mean, we would say, yeah, of course God's alive. But now we have some verses to back up and to show why is this important that our God is alive? And uh, then we have the Revelation, chapter 7. And this is not an exhaustive study in any way on these subjects, but uh, at least give you several verses to, to show the concept. And in the text here, you know, we're, we're dealing with the, the sealing uh, of God's people, the saints. Verse 1, after these things, I, uh, I saw, a four, uh, saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. And that would be that thought of north, south, east, west. The wind should not blow on the earth, nor in the sea, nor in a tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal, here it is, of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, them that giveth hurt, uh, given to hurt the earth and the sea. So we can see the plagues and so forth then, and the beginning of that. And so sure enough, the sealing uh, of the living God was, was there. So just another, another place where it's talked about. So living God, number two uh, for tonight, which is our point number four on the page. God is self-existing. Uh, what do we mean by self-existing before you read down through? How would you define Define self-existing. I'm sorry? Okay. Anybody else? And I learned last week I need to repeat what other people are saying because not everybody can hear uh, what is going on. Okay? So the thought is, um, in other words, he is the one who was there. And, of course, we know God didn't, you know, wasn't created. But there is a thought that he is the creator and he is already in existence, right? Dustin, you have something too there? Okay, so it is the one that's eternal, rolling over everything else, okay? Self-existent. Bill? Okay. There you go. Self-sufficient, right? So God doesn't have to plug in, right, to get a charge at night, okay? He's not one of these new electric cars, right? You know, you run so far, right? Self-existing. 
Okay, let's start seeing some of the concepts. Uh, uh, Thesen's uh, systematic theology is, is where I got this quote. While man's ground of existence is outside of himself, God's existence is not dependent upon anything outside of himself. One other man said, God is the first cause, himself uncaused. Meaning, he's always been, nothing caused God to, to becoming into existence. But everything that came into existence is caused by God. He began everything. He is the beginning. He is the foundation. He is the way, the truth. He is establishing everything. And we've looked at the Exodus 3.14. That's when God came to Moses and said, I am, tell Israel, I am, has sent me unto them. So, so Moses was sent by the great I am, the self-existing one. So God never had a beginning. We're going to see him as the eternal one. And you can see how this pulls together, uh, these actual last three points. And that, that, that he is the foundation, the ground of all things that exist. And it's as though everything came out from him. And that's why the last session we had um, before this uh, was about God of creation. That all life, all matter, came from the one who was spirit, speaking through the, through the word of God, which is Jesus Christ, literally bringing into existence all things from nothing. So there again, he didn't have to, um, if you will, find an outside source to pull this in so that he could create something. Everything came from within God, who he is. This stuff blows me away because it makes zero sense to you and I, humanly speaking. It just can't be. How can matter come from nothing? God. And you say, how do you know that? Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And that the things which are seen were not made by things which do appear. So you can't find somewhere out in another galaxy the matter that God decided to pull together and create the earth from something else. It came from absolutely nothing. And that's because God has everything within himself to create light, matter, everything. Now his immensity is the next point, and this means that how God, uh, how could anyone attempt to measure God? Well, he cannot be measured by space because he is infinite in relation to space. Uh, the next phrase, all that, all that we is the word I missed there. Know and see is dependent on him for existence. He is above all. Neat point coming up. Let's go back to the Old Testament again. And we're going back to 1 Kings 8.27. Now you'll remember how David, in his life, he had such a heart for God. And one of the things that he personally wanted to do for God was to build a place for God, a temple. And, of course, God says no, but your son is going to. And during the time of peace and tranquility for Israel, God allows Solomon to be able to put together, uh, through many helpers, many people, this beautiful thing. Um, now, you remember Solomon, as we see him, the wisest man 
on this earth outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to be zeroing in in a moment in verse, 20, at verse 27, but look back so that you can see the text of verse 22. Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands towards heaven. Get the visual. The king is worshiping. The king is standing before everybody and his hands are spread out. And this is what he says. Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee. In heaven above or earth beneath, who keepest covenant mercy in thy servants that walk before thee with all their heart, who is kept with thy servant David, my father, that thou despised, uh, that thou promised him, thou spakest also with thy mouth, and hast fulfilled it with thine hand, as it is this day. Therefore now, Lord God of Israel, keep with thy servant David, my father, that thou promised him, saying, There shall not fail thee a man in my sight to sit on the throne of Israel, so that thy children take heed to their way. And this sad what we're reading here in this prayer, and to know what Solomon did then, that they walked before me as thou hast walked before me. And now, O God of Israel, let thy word, I pray thee, be verified, which thou spakest unto thy servant David, my father. Here's verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. Now, if you and I would have walked in to the temple itself, we will be going, <gasps> we will be in awe, just trying to think how much did the thing cost in today's society. It couldn't really have been built. No one would have put that kind of time and efforts and monies into it. And of course, we, as we talked about Sunday morning, about the different furniture that was there, multiplied, of course, and to be able to have that place of worship uh, for, for God and the sacrifices and all these things that took place. And it's the thought of how could God ever be held into a little place? I want to clarify one thing that one person said recently from the pulpit. It's, it, the thought was almost like when, when the veil was ripped in two, God was able to come to our midst. Eh, wrong. <laughs> the thought was, finally, we have access to God. That's the thought. Okay, just want to clarify that one. And so, so it, folks, God wasn't locked up into a little room called the Holy of Holies. Okay, it couldn't hold him. The earth, the universe, you can't hold God. He is, His immensity. There's no way of measuring Him. Now, you know, we're going to see eternity. You know, it's like the stars were created. There's no beginning, there's no end. It's a picture of God being eternal. But you can't lock God into even that. So, so Solomon, in his wisdom, is helping you and I to realize our God, and we use these English words, our God is a big God. Okay, define big. It's really hard for us to put into our words, our adjectives, how we're going to describe God. But we try to find ways, and Solomon was really able to put it down with a question. Will God indeed dwell on the earth? 
And yet, Jesus Christ coming as the Son of Man, God came to earth. Taking on, taking on that form of man and the likeness of man. It's an amazing thing. Let's keep going. Psalm 113, the whole psalm, is full of this same subject. Psalm 113. Praise ye the Lord, praise O ye servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth forevermore, from the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same. The Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and earth. It's almost like God is so far above all this creation, it's amazing that God would even look on us. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with the princes, even with the princes of his people. It's like, why would God, if he's above all things, look down at an individual and, and make his life better on this earth? Because God is love. He's full of mercy. And, because, and yet he is so immense, yet he is still all-knowing. He maketh a barren womb, woman to keep house and to be joyful mother of children. Praise he, the Lord. All of these wonderful verses. Great psalm, isn't it? Um, the next one is supposed to be Isaiah. I apologize for that. You say, didn't you, didn't you proofread this? Yep. But I didn't give it to my wife. <laughs> Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. By the way, it's all prophecy about King Jesus, if you didn't know what this text is about. Are we there? Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Get a vision of that. It's like, way above is the Lord seated, and his feet are right here on this earth. You say, how would you measure that? That's the point here. How could you even measure how large our God is by saying he's seated there and his feet are planted here? Where is the house that you built unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things have mine, have mine hand made. And all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. So it's neat how you'll see these texts that, that God's talking about his immensity, and yet in the same breath, he's taking care of the little ones. He's taking care of everybody. And that's the fascinating thing about our God. Um, i gotta, I got to save time, because I want to get this done tonight. Uh, Isaiah 55 and verses 8 and 9, those who take notes, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. 
That's where it talks about, uh, as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above thy ways, my thoughts, my thoughts above thy thoughts. And there again, it talks about the separation of what we are compared to who our God is. And, and I mean, we are around a lot of people that I call brainiacs. I mean, there are people I know that blow me away with what they have capable they're capable of learning and memorizing and being able to compile together and all the data, all these things, and to be able to figure it out when we're just going, what was that first point again? And yet the smartest person could never, ever have any thoughts that would even be close to the smallest thought of our God. Um, save a little time. The Acts 17 text is uh, Paul Mars Hill, and this is when, as he is preaching to these who are looking for the uh, unknown God, he begins to reveal who the unknown God is, and he talks about the creation of all things, and then he gets into how, we use a phrase, how large, how big our God really is. So those are some other verses you can look up on your own. Last point, is our God being eternal? And this is uh, one of my favorites. God is without beginning and without end. We know this, and you, if you had a questionnaire, you would have got that one right too. God is infinite in relation to time, since he even created time, right? So it's just like we can't limit God from nine to five, or since, you know, this year to, to 2011. We can't, we can't limit our God in time. So we've got a couple of verses we're going to look at. Chapter 21 of Genesis and verse 33. And while you're turning there, this is like the hardest way for your preacher to preach and teach because I want to develop every text. <laughs> this is really hard. I mean, the concept is there, but I just want to, I want to just pull and let you see everything that's going on in the text. But this one, I've I got to be somewhat pointed. So here, Abraham planted a grove um, in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Psalm 90, and this is one of the best verses on the subject that I know. Again, Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. These are some good memory verses for you if you like to memorize verses. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even thou hast formed the earth and the world, even, notice this, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So, not a beginning, eternity past, never an end, eternity forward. So that is the clear one. Uh, I'm going to, uh, boy, there's a couple other good ones. Hold on. We've got to see a couple others. Now I'm going to tie it all together. Look over at the uh, Isaiah 57, 15, and then we'll look at the First Timothy. i just got to save a little bit of time. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah 57, 15. This is where he says, oh, yeah, it's good. <clears throat> Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. Just think about it. God's like there. It's just like, how would we, how would we you know, think about heaven? Heaven is eternity. 
And this is where God is living. He's living in eternity. He's inhabiting that place where there is no time. And this is the concept. <clears throat> Our God is not limited to what we are experiencing right now, this very moment at you know, uh, 751 of this date. God can see Moses' day and Abraham's day as clear as this day. All things are known to him. He can remember the thoughts of Abraham when he was about ready to pierce his son. It's as though it is right now. God is all-knowing and not limited with time and space and the structures that we live in. And it is hard for us because he knows our goings. It's as though he can see what's going to happen to you and I next year at this time. We're just glad we don't have that capability. And God is, now follow me in this thought, because since our God is eternal, and he knows what's best for us, what he's saying to us is trust and obey, right? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, Lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge me. I'm going to direct your path. This is where I'm taking you to. I know what's going to happen. And if you do something else, which he knows, I know he knows all these things, but it's like God is trying to guide us and direct us into the very best path because he can see time in the future. He knows all things. He's like really awesome God. And so what we have to do this day is say, God, give me this day my daily bread. God says, I can handle that one, okay? I can take care of that. Don't take any thought for tomorrow. There's going to be a whole lot of things going on that day. There's enough going on today to be worrying about tomorrow. So hang in there for today. I can handle that one, God. Because God's thinking, because I know what's coming up. I know what's happening. And don't worry. We walk by faith and not by sight. And we trust our eternal God for our eternal life. The first Timothy six, we'll see that one yet, and we'll show you an application of this. First Timothy six and verse sixteen. This great description of our God. Oh man, there's we I, I'd love to back up some. Look at verse 15. Which in his times he shall show who is the blessed only potentate king of kings and the lord of lords who only hath immortality never ever die. Dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto whom no man hath seen nor can see to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. So our God, who is never going to die. Why? Because he's eternal. Eternity. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Constantly, God is confirming to the believer in Jesus Christ a stat- status or a state 
of eternity. Now listen to Titus, the way he says it. And um, he says, eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. In 1 John, he says, um, and this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. And by the way, we can keep on going on. Now, follow me. How can God promise something that he doesn't possess? Right? In other words, I'd love to write a check out for $100,000. Let's get this church paid off. You know, let's get the loan paid off. And I could write you a check right now. And I don't have a checkbook with me. I'd go home and write you a check for, for the 88000 whatever we owe in this place, and we could go to bank, go, go pay it off. There's only one problem with that. I don't have it. You cannot give what you don't have. God is promising you can take this, if you will, to the bank. It's an eternal life for you because this is who God is. Since he is eternal, he can give that which he promises. And the moment you and I receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, God says, I give, have given unto you what? Eternal life. And by the way, unlike a lot of the others that will teach, you don't know if you have eternal life until you die. Right? Because you can't know if you're going. So God is saying, wait a minute. I want you to know, 1 John 5.13, that you have that. Because follow me. How can you ever talk to somebody about Jesus and talk about heaven and talk about forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ if there is no eternity to go to? If there's no promise for it, like, hi, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He rose again, and he's in heaven. But I don't know if he's good for it, but he might give you eternal life. I'm hoping he's going to have it for us someday. I don't know for sure because I haven't died and gone there yet. You know, we, we can't go, we can't approach it with all the doubts. We go into it saying, this is what God has promised me. What do you have to go by to know that God has given you eternal life and that if you die tonight, because you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you're going to heaven? What do you have to prove it? Put a lot in this, don't we? Our very souls are resting on the very words of God. The God isn't lying, folks. And this is what he promised. God who cannot lie has promised eternal life. And this life is in his son because it's not in us. You don't have the capability of giving yourself eternal. Only God who has it can give it. And that's why we praise him. This is why we love him, because of, of these type of things. And that's why we want to serve him. And this is why we, we want to do for him. All right, we got a minute. John, did you have a comment? I heard you shouting over there just a couple of times, so I thought maybe you had something you wanted to share. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Any comments or questions, though, sir? Yeah. Yep. And is there's enough source of eternity for all. Isn't it amazing? He doesn't run out of strength to give it. Anybody else? Any questions, comments? All righty. Yes, sir, Mark. Yep, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, and you almost have to give the balance. Because there is also the flip side, which will be the eternal death versus the eternal life. And because he is the eternal God, there are the, the, those who believe in rocks and trees and nature. Uh, those things are not eternal. And I forgot to bring this up. Neither are they living. That is also the distinction. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for the time and your word. Bless and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.